the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. In the last couple of episodes, we laid out a number of arguments for the claim that those inscriptions are not a 7th century inscription, rather they are a later one, and the argument is that they are possibly a 16th century uh, inscriptions. Of course, with us here virtually, uh, our dear friend Mel. Mel, again, uh, welcome, and thank you so much for being here, taking the time to do so. And, uh, uh, you know, we're so thankful for this research that you brought up to our attention by A.G., Deuce. So walk us through now uh, the continuation of Deuce's argument. Uh, what are we going to cover today? Okay, so in today's episode, we're going to be looking at when is our earliest reference to a dome of the rock. Um, why it matters is because if it didn't exist in the 7th century, how can there be an inscription claiming Abdul Malik built it? Right. Um, A.J. Deuce basically gives us uh, some de- details about the inscription, the one that's especially important in terms of Abdel Malik, which is that it was, it says that it was built in AH72, which would be 691, 692 CE, but the name got replaced by the Abbasid Caliph Al Mamun, which would have been 813, 833. Now, um, this inscription that we're referring to is part of a 20-meter inscription, which is on the inner arcade. Now, I have a diagram here to give you an idea of what we're talking about. It is often confused with the inner drum. So if you imagine underneath the dome, there's a circular area supporting the, the, uh, the dome. That's not where this inscription is. It's further out. It's called the arcade. It's octagonal. And it's on both sides of that arcade. So if you look at the image on the right, you see the star. That's where you find it. It's above the archways. Okay? Right. Now, Sophronius doesn't say that the Saracens built their prayer hall over the foundation rock. This is something that I overlooked when I read the um, the reference to uh, the um, mosque in the 7th century. He says the goddess Saracens entered the holy city of Christ our Lord, Jerusalem, and immediately proceeded in haste to the place, which is called the capital. They took with them men, some by force, others by their own will, in order to clean that place and to build that cursed thing intended for their prayer, which they call a mosque. Now, according to A.J. Juice, he says that there is no primary evidence that puts a building over the foundation stone. We could read that and assume that it's over the foundation stone, which is where the Dome of the Rock is located. But that isn't what Sophronius actually says. Now, if we look to Arakulf, who visited Jerusalem sometime later, what he says 
is that in that famous place where once stood the magnificently constructed temple near the eastern wall, emphasis on the eastern wall, the Saracens now frequent a rectangular house of prayer, which they have built in a crude manner, constructing it from raised planks and large beams over some remains of ruins. This house, as it is said, can accommodate at least 3,000 people. Now, according to A.J. Juice, if you look at the image on the right, where the red rectangle is, that's where he believes this would be located, which is next to the Eastern Gate. And it would be per- perpendicular to the rock. Okay. Um, he says that it can be inferred that the dome was neither standing nor under construction during the 670s. There's nothing controversial about that. The original prayer house in Jerusalem that had been built in the 630s was enlarged and used by the Saracens on top of Roman ruins. So, so far, that's where they had a building. And we haven't reached the time of Abdul Malik yet. So are there any archaeological finds that support this this existence of uh, the ruins of a mosque, for instance, or Roman ruins in there? That's a good question. It's not something that A.J. Juice has dealt with. He is uh, basically using literary sources to um, argue the case for the location of these different buildings. I think because of all the subsequent work, it might be difficult to establish, but it's not something he has dealt with. Okay. So Anastasia Seneta says nothing about the Dome of the Rock. Um, He is from the 690s. He attests to large-scale construction activities on the Temple Mount under Al-Malik. So that might suggest that it's in relation to the Dome of the Rock. Several milestones between Damascus and Jerusalem, as well as Temple iconography and pre-reform coins, indicate that the Holy City and the Temple Mount were indeed part of large-scale infrastructure projects but nothing is said about the Dome of the Rock. This is followed by the Quran's mentioning of the Sufyanid and Marwanid monuments that can be circumambulated. He makes the argument that the, these uh, Safa and Marwa are two monuments on the Temple Mount, which is a different argument to what Paul Ellis would, would say, which is that there are the two hills in Jerusalem called Safa and Marwa. But in any case, he's suggesting here that we can't read too much into this source it doesn't mention Dome of the Rock yet. Now, he also speculates that perhaps that instead of a dome, a tower existed over the rock. Um, he gets this from uh, Umaid Codex of Sana, where there are designs of a tower that appears to be accessible through an elevated platform with stairs. So you can see the image on the left. The only problem is that this doesn't have any arcades, and the arcades are essential for the inscriptions. So without the arcades, there are no inscriptions. And so therefore, if this is all that's there, the inscriptions must come from later. So essentially, this is what it would have looked like if he's correct in assuming that this building is on the Temple Mount. Again, I would say, um, take this with a pinch of salt. It, this is an assumption he's making based on the Sana manuscript that this must only be in the Temple Mount. This building could refer to a building elsewhere. Um, now, when an illustrated Bible from the 8th century which was from the court school of Charmaine, Charmaine depicted Zachariah at the temple. Was this how it depicted the temple? Well, this is how you'd, you'd think the picture would have depicted it. But instead, it's depicted like this, which is a tower with a, a slight dome on it, but no arcades. Um, I think it's quite logical to say that maybe the painters would have based their idea of the temple on what pilgrims would have seen in Jerusalem at that time which would have been some form of a tower. So I think A.J. Juice's case here is a good one. Um, 
does this give us evidence for inscriptions in the seventh century? No, this would pretty much go against that. If this is all that exists, there's no arcade there. There is therefore no inscriptions. So that is a problem. The Zucken Chronicle from the eighth century says that he turned the temple into a mosque because the little that remained of Solomon's temple became a mosque for the Arabs. He repaired the ruins of Jerusalem. He's referring to Al-Mansur, who was the caliph from 754 to 775. So if if our idea of the Dome of the Rock is correct and there was an inscription there, then this goes against it. Um, it should have been a mosque prior to this, but according to Zuc- the Zuckan Chronicle, it hadn't yet been turned into a, uh, a mosque. Um, he also says the following, uh, a traveller, Bernard the monk, visited the holy city around 870, and according to him, the Temple of Solomon is in the north, which houses a Saracen synagogue. Now, it's not clear, does he mean the north of where he's, he is, or does he mean the north of the Temple Mount? A.J. Juice has assumed that it means the north of the Temple Mount. If so, that would be evidence against the idea of the Dome of the Rock, because the Dome of the Rock would be in the centre there, rather than in the northern part. Um, and uh, where did the tower go? Well, A.J. Juice reckons that it could have been raised, and so this is a new building again in the um, the 870s. Now, not long after that, we have our very first mention of the Dome of the Rock, and it's in the late 9th century, and the Sunni historian geographer Yakubi um, says that Abdul um, al-Malik built above the Sakra a dome. Um, now, the, the problem with all of that is that the, all the evidence beforehand would contradict it. Why is this the earliest reference to the Dome of the Rock? AJ Juice would argue that the reason why they have this narrative is because the Dome of the Rock had recently been built since that monk has, had visited in the 870, and this is essentially a backstory. Um, so a, a very late contemporary evidence that a building now covers the rock. It is the first contemporary primary evidence that a building now covers the rock and that the efforts in forming communal memory was focused on attributing the structure to Al-Malik that could only have stood for a few decades at the most. Um, so in short, the first prototype of the Dome of the Rock was built between 870 and 897, precisely when tradition starts creating a new communal memory. Therefore, neither Abdul al-Malik's dedicatory inscription nor al-Mamun's correction could have existed before that time. So that's a quick summary of why A.J. Dukes believes that the Dome of the Rock couldn't have existed before the 9th century. Yeah, and I was going to ask about uh, uh, the Abdul Malik and his son al-Mamun, and, and you just mentioned it here. So so it seemed like uh, there are contradictions, as always. What a surprise uh, when it comes <laughs> to uh, that particular location, datings, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, what should we expect next time? So... Um, in, I can't, I'll have to, can, can we edit this bit out? Because I can't remember. <laughs> Do you mind if I, Oh, that, that's okay. Uh, uh, I mean, so uh, yeah. we're basically going to continue then uh, with the, the same uh, argument. And, and all of this is based on A.G. Deuce's uh, article. Is that correct? It is, yeah. Um, I've um, brought in tiny little bits of extra evidence here and there, but it's mostly A.G. Deuce's paper. Um, so the case in, in, in the next episode is we're going to argue that um, why the inscriptions couldn't have lasted even if they existed even now in, you know, when the Dome of the Rock was built, 
why it wouldn't have survived because of all of the mishaps that happened over the centuries, including earthquakes and fires and so forth. So today we're going to be looking at uh, two things, really. First, the issue of the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the fact that it wasn't always in the same location. A lot, a lot of the time people assume that the current location is the, the location it's always been in. And the other thing that we're going to look at is why the inscriptions wouldn't survive the first uh, five centuries. So if we look at the picture um, that I have on, on the screen, we can see the position of the Al-Aqsa Mosque in 978 AD, and it's that red rectangle. So it's way off in the corner, whereas to the left, you can see the building, which is where the Al-Aqsa is today. So that's just one example of how buildings got destroyed, got repaired, got built. And this strengthens the case for the idea that same would have happened with the Dome of the Rock. Over the centuries, it would have got damaged. It would have had fires, earthquakes and so forth, and then be rebuilt. Um, the inscriptions are on the inner arcade, um, and that is kind of like the skeleton of the building. It is the buttresses that hold up the entire building. If anything got damaged with the building, the arcades would definitely have been affected by that. And that's one of the reasons why um, AJ Juice has brought this up. Now, um, so first of all, we look at the reason why we know that um, the Al-Aqsa today is a completely different building to the one in 978. Um, he refers to the following, another description from 978 AD by Ibn Hokal and Ishtakbri provides more details about the Dome of the Rock. Um, the key bit there is the main building, supposedly the Aqsa Mosque, occupies the southeastern angle of the mosque and covers about half the breadth of the same. The remainder of the harem area is left free and is nowhere built over. And also says that at this place, there has been a raised stone, like a platform of great unhewn blocks, in the centre of which, covering the rock, is a magnificent dome. So we have here evidence for the Dome of the Rock, and also that the Al-Aqsa Mosque was in a different location at that time, and a, a far larger building at that time. There's also this additional note. The Persian traveller Nasir e Husro visits Jerusalem in the spring of 1147. He's the last to mention the mosque on the Temple Mount to be attached to the eastern wall. 25 years later, it would be reported as being at the south. This is primary evidence that the Al-Aqsa Mosque did not exist at its current place until at least the mid-12th century. Now, late 10th century, earthquakes threw down most of the main building. Okay, so this is highly significant. Um, the first report outside of earlier tradition that claims Almanic's involvement emerges with the late 10th century geographer al Mukaddazi. And the key bit there is that he says, this mosque is even more beautiful than that of Damascus for during the building of it, they had for arrival and as a comparison, the great church belonging to the Christians at Jerusalem, and they built this to be even more magnificent than the other. But in the days of the Abbasids occurred the earthquakes, which threw down most of the main building, all in fact except the portion around the Mirab. Now, if, if that witness account is correct, if, if an earthquake threw down most of the building, that would mean that at the very least, at least some of the arcade, if not all of the arcade, would have been damaged. I think that's a reasonable suggestion. And so therefore the inscriptions would have been damaged. And yet the inscriptions we have today are without a blemish. 
And I think AJ Juice makes a very good case here why the the inscriptions couldn't have been from the seventh century as a result of this eyewitness account. Now, can you imagine a scenario where most of the building was thrown down, yet the arcade with its inscriptions survived unscathed? So you can imagine there's a downward force. The arcades have been pushed one way, they've been pushed another way. Um, this would have put an awful lot of force on that vertical line there, which is where the arcade is and where the, the inscriptions are. It's hard to imagine that there wouldn't at least be a crack in them, and yet nothing of that nature is there. Now, we also can turn to Al-Wasiti. In 1019, 1020, the preacher of the Al-Aqsa Mosque on the Tilpa Mount produced a detailed account of Al-Malik's involvement. He says, when Abdul Al-Malik wanted to build the Dome of the Rock, it came from Damascus to Jerusalem. He then sent to all his deputies in all his dominions, he wrote, Abdel Malik plans to build a dome over the rock to shelter the Muslims from cold and heat and to construct the masjid. Now, A.J. Juice would argue that, considering what we know that went before all of this, all the evidence we've looked at, that this is just an example of a narrative that's been written to backdate a much later dome of the rock and give it, uh, or to place it at a time that was... Um, more appropriate for the narrative that they're trying to build. It goes on to say, they informed him that the sum of 100,000 dinars was left from the money he allocated. He offered it to them as a reward, but they declined, indicating that they had already been generously compensated. Abdul al-Malik then ordered that the gold coins be melted and cast on the exterior of the dome, which then so glittered that no one could look straight into it. Now, the, the problem is that down through the centuries, we see various accounts of the Dome of the Rock being, sometimes it is with gold on the outside, sometimes it's just lead. Um, that would indicate that massive changes have occurred to the Dome of the Rock over the centuries. Now, right. if we go further, A.J. Deuce says, there is no need to pretend that this is anything other than a fairy tale. His account bears no credibility whatsoever. The oral tr chain of transmission that spans over 300 years is just as spurious as the text itself. So he basically says it's too self-congratulatory to be realistic or, or convincing. Uh, and so it's basically, it's a narrative designed to fool people into thinking that the Dome of the Rock that now exists was from the time of Abdul al-Malik. Al-Muqadazi in the late 10th century describes it as being decorated with mosaics at that time, but makes no mention of any inscriptions. And the question is, why? And then we have the following. Why would Al-Muhalabi and Eutysius report that Walid built the Dome of the Rock if the inscriptions said otherwise? And so the also, very existence of multiple accounts is damaging in and of itself. That's what he's saying. Absolutely. So the fact that, as, you, as we'll see further on, that when you ask someone who built the Dome of the Rock, they keep changing their idea of who it is. Sometimes they say Umar. Sometimes they say it's Walid, Abdel Malik. You know, take your pick. If there was an inscription in the Dome of the Rock, then it would have been clarified, but there doesn't seem to be any clarification yet. Um, Al-Wasiti is again transmitting older traditions. Um, during the time of Abdel Al-Malik, there was hanging on the chain above the rock under the dome, Yatima Pearl the horns of Abraham's ram, and the crown of Husro. 
Now, what's interesting is he doesn't mention the inscription. You would have thought that in mentioning what was hanging inside the Dome of the Rock, he mentions things are not really that important, but he misses the inscription. So that's another piece of evidence. And then, as we mentioned in an earlier episode, if that weren't bad enough, the Temple Mount was under crusader control for two centuries. Are we expected to believe the inscriptions, had they existed, would have survived that? Um, under the patronage of Saladin, um, Imad Adin describes the interior of the Dome of the Rock, on leaving the presence of mosaics and inscriptions out. They had adorned it with images and statues, set up dwellings there for monks, and made it the place for the gospel, which they venerated and exalted to the heights. Over the place of the prophet's holy foot, they set an ornamented tabernacle with columns of marble, marking it as the place where the Messiah had set his foot, a holy and exalted place where flocks of animals, among which I saw species of pig, were carved um, in marble. Now, he's talking about the Crusaders. Now, why did the Crusaders put sculptures of pigs in the Dome of the Rock? I would argue that they did that because it was an anti-Muslim sentiment. Oh, of, course, of course, they, they want to uh, desecrate it, basically. So why stop there? Why not destroy the inscriptions had they existed? Especially when the Pope had uh, given instructions that if, if there was a memorial to Muhammad, um, that they would be excommunicated. So they were very clear in their minds that um, that, that wasn't acceptable. So if they saw it on the wall, they would surely have destroyed it. I think A.J. Juice makes a really strong argument on this point, at least. And two inscriptions attest to the dome's restoration after an earthquake in 1015, 1016. The biggest threat to the notion that inscriptions and mosaics could have survived from the 7th century until today was an earthquake in 1015 AD that caused the dome to fall onto the enshrined rock. Two inscriptions attest to the restoration of the collapsed dome in 1022-23. It's hard to imagine that the the dome could collapse and not damage the arcades which support the dome. The two of them are kind of go hand in hand together. The arcades are holding up the roof, which is supporting the dome. So if the dome goes, the roof goes, and therefore the arcades go. Um, Anyone who's ever played dominoes and knocked one domino against another would clearly see that it's so unlikely that if the dome came off that the arcades would have survived. So today's arcades with inscriptions rest on columns that had been replaced after the earlier ones. The descriptions of the time are markedly different from the modern appearance. While the main walls appear to be the same with exact measurements, the arrangement of the inner supporting columns is so different that another destructive event must have consumed weaker parts of the structure. So the number of columns has changed over the centuries, which is an indication indication that um, there was a, a rebuild of the arcades over the centuries. So these columns here were, were replaced. And I think I may have left out some information. Oh, here it is. So there originally were eight inner supporting columns and 24 outer columns. The 24 outer ones are what supports the arcades, the key ones. But they then were replaced with 12 inner supporting columns and 16 outer columns. So that would indicate a significant change. You can't just change the columns without damaging the arcades and the inscriptions above. And finally, 
Indeed, just a few years later, in 1033 AD, multiple earthquakes hit the area and caused mass casualties. The outer wall of the Haram area was thrown down. Yet we are to believe that the mosaics and the descriptions survived unscathed. I think AJ Juice makes a really strong case. When you take it all into account, all of the different mishaps, the earthquakes, the fires and so on, and even the fact that the Crusaders occupied the site for two centuries, it's highly unlikely that inscriptions would have survived all of that. So hand it back to you. Amen. Thank you so much, brother. I think we have at least two more uh, parts, if I recall, uh, to finish this particular series. But I hope everyone is finding it to be uh, fascinating and uh, that the argument I thought that A.G. Deuce is making really, um, uh, I mean, are very strong arguments, at least, uh, even if uh, you have a way to refute them, it's obviously very logical to at least present and bring to the forefront. So I'm excited about this uh, public debate that is taking place and also uh, the fact that uh, this claim uh, is being examined seriously. And, uh, you know, for all that, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, all that matter, I should say, is that, as I mentioned many times, there are ample evidence to indicate later developments in Islamic history. And therefore, it's damaging to just Islam in and of itself when it started it. And when a number of its monuments were built, uh, a number of its uh, basically milestones were established, a number of uh, its own, um, uh, you know, primary sources uh, were collected, and the list can go on and on and on. As always, thank you, Mel. Thank you, everyone. This is Al-Fadi, over and out. God bless. Take care. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.